I, I was kind of flustered when I got up here and the ringing of the uh, second coming of Christ <laughs> that I thought was totally taking place kind of threw me off a little bit. But there is something I needed to bring to your attention and I forgot to talk about. So over here on this table, you're going to find a stack of these papers. If you're a member of Crosspoint Fellowship, this is our statement of faith and our core beliefs. And we've already gotten some good feedback on uh, some of these, constructive feedback on some of these. And so uh, we want everybody who's a member of Crosspoint to grab one of those and to look at it and to be able to discuss with us in three weeks from now. Okay, it was four weeks from last Sunday, which makes it three weeks from this Sunday. Any issue or complaint that you have with this. Uh, the reason that we are wanting to vote on this is because this is the number one thing, or I should say the two top things, our core beliefs and our statement of faith that newer people ask for. If we get, if I get an email from somebody uh, that wants to know about our church, they always tell me it's almost always the same. Hey, we were looking for your statement of faith and your core beliefs on your website and we didn't see it. And the reason that we haven't put it up there is because our old bylaws don't really uh, have all of this information first and foremost. And two, the bylaws that were currently in place, while I know that there were discussions, uh, and I wasn't here when they happened, so in all fairness, there's that, um, we've kind of been led to believe that those bylaws very closely, and I know they do because I know the church, they very closely match another church. And Crosspoint, for the most part, kind of just put our name on those. So the reason that the elders have spent hours, and I do mean lots and lots and lots of hours together, kind of going over and combing uh, our bylaws and looking at all those is because when we read them together, they didn't feel like Crosspoint. And I think Dave and Rodney and David Thomas, if he was here, could could tell you that, that, that they didn't represent the church that we are today. And so we are doing our best to make sure that we uh, put the time and effort into that to uh, honor God the best we can as a church, but also represent who our church is. And it's not just the four of us that are our church. It's all of you. And so we want your input on that. And hopefully maybe that brings a little bit of clarity to you as to why we're doing that and why we're looking at that. But we, we ask you to grab a copy, to look over those things, to critique it, to find issues with it. Uh, we want to be held accountable. Uh, we want to make sure that everything's scripturally based. We want to make sure that, that we are representing our church as a whole. And uh, we will vote on that in four weeks. And the, guys, if you don't agree with something, just so you know, you, we need you to vote no. <laughs> we we, we want to know so we can go back to the drawing table and figure out you know what needs to be changed and what may be wrong. And so uh, please take a look at those and offer any constructive criticism or just criticism that you have. We want it. Okay. Without any further ado, I know that's kind of a, a boring piece of the conversation maybe for some, but it is so important. Uh, I could talk about that for a long time. We are going to spend some weeks looking at the 12, right? Jesus called the 12. Now, we say it all the time here at our church, but we are really not meant to do anything alone. Our very design requires that we live life with others. From the moment that no suitable helper was found for Adam to the instant that God created that suitable helper for him in Eve. We are better, stronger, wiser, and more successful with the help of others. And Jesus, even being the son of God and being seen as God himself was no different. His ministry would not be one of isolation. Rather, a lot like MacGyver and kids, you need to ask your 
parents and grandparents who MacGyver is, but a lot like MacGyver, he would build something useful and powerful out of what the world considered spare parts. Now, looking at the 12 he called first, we're going to look at Mark chapter 3, 13 through 19, and it's basically just me reading off a roster, but it's what it says. It says, Jesus went up on the mountainside, and he called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed the 12 that they might be with him and that they might, he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to who he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and brother John, to them he gave the name Bonergus, which means sons of thunder. That's like my, if anybody ever asked me what my favorite verse in the Bible is, I'm going to point them towards this. Because Jesus is like really cool, and then he just gives out the best nicknames. Just saying. In verse 18, it says, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Today, we will discuss the calling of Peter, James, and John, and there is some reason to believe also Andrew, as Andrew was the uh, brother of Peter, Simon Peter, maybe today. So let's dive in specifically at the story of those three when we first see them. It's going to be in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I know I just read a good chunk of scripture, but I'm going to read another one to you. You can follow along on the screen or in a Bible or on your phone, however you so choose. We are a church of choices. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11 says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, I can never say this, Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into, the, into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in another boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee. Bonergus, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed him. Now, a common misconception that you may have about this passage and one that I had uh, for a number of years early in my life while reading this passage is that this was the first time that Jesus came into contact with these men. But that's actually not the case. Now, Previously to this point, Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law, uh, to which it seems he was not offended. <laughs> Thank you, Phil. Phil's in trouble. Phil's in trouble. Just kidding. <laughs> which most likely means that Andrew, okay, as I already told you, who was one of the 12, was well aware of Jesus as well as he was Peter's brother. Now, in John chapter 1, verse 40 and 41, it says, one of the two who heard John speak, that's John the Baptist, followed Jesus, was Andrew. Okay, so this is brother Andrew, and it even says Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. So 
Simon is really aware of who Jesus is. He seems to have a pretty strong understanding that Jesus is the Messiah. And he goes to Peter and says, hey, we found him. This guy we've been waiting for, this is him. But it doesn't seem like Peter is fully sold at this point. Um, And this is prior to the calling that we see in Luke 5. Then in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, we get another passage that feels similar to this passage, but it's actually a, a different occurrence. It's not the same occurrence, just in a different gospel. It says in verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Now this following wasn't like a full-time following. It's just like they did it for the day, right? In Luke chapter 5, it's when they officially say, hey, we're done with this. We're going to follow this guy wherever he says to go because clearly he is the Messiah. Clearly there is something very different about him. And so in verse 19, it says, and going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending nets. And immediately he called to them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and they hired servants and they followed him. And so they're, they're chasing after this Jesus. Jesus has this, this reputation with them already as somebody who is one, an excellent teacher, as somebody who can perform the miraculous and, and healing Peter's mother-in-law. So Uh, it's kind of after the point that we just read there that Peter invites Jesus back to his home and it's there that Jesus heals the mother-in-law. So when Jesus calls these disciples to full-time service in Luke chapter five, it's most likely at least their third interaction, right? So it's the third time they've really come across him and it's definitely probably the numerous of time that they have heard about this Jesus, Okay, so that's why it's really not that weird for Peter to have been like, sure, get in my boat, I'll paddle you out a ways, okay? Uh, If you know anything about fishermen, they don't just let anybody in their boat, okay? They're not about that life. This is my boat, you stay away. That's typically the attitude. So if you get invited to fish with somebody, just a little point of be honored, be honored, Right? So Christ's authority had been built up by this point because of his performing of miracles. Now, it wasn't phenomenal, as I said, that Peter would have invited him into the boat and would have rowed him out a little ways so that he could teach the crowd. What I do find phenomenal was Peter agreeing to go even further out after he was done teaching to cast his nets one more time after fishing all night and not getting a single catch, right? Not a single fish, nothing. And here's what I learned from this kind of interaction in this instance, and I hope that you'll see the importance of this as well. Sometimes we fail, not because we are doing the wrong thing, because we are doing it without Jesus, okay? Sometimes we fail, not because we are doing the wrong thing or a bad thing, but because we are doing it without Jesus. There are many worthy pursuits in our world. There are many worthy pursuits in our life. And sometimes we chase after those things because we see the good in them. We see the value in them. They make us happy. They fulfill us. But we forget to kind of bring Jesus along on the trip. And it may be, maybe, that Jesus isn't ready for us to experience those things at this time. Maybe it's that it's the wrong time. Maybe it's that it's not the right place. I cannot tell you how many times I wanted something at a time and I wasn't ready for it to hear God say no, okay? 
only to have God later open the door. I so desperately wanted to kick down myself because he had finally prepared me for it and I was now ready. I'm going to tell you a little story. I felt the calling to full-time ministry at a young age. I was 18 years old and I felt the calling at that time. And it was a complete 180 from the way that I had been living my life before when I decided to surrender to that calling. I went to camp, to church camp, a drug addict, and I came back and my grandpa had me preaching the next Sunday. Okay, because if, uh, if you don't know something about my grandpa, if you ever tell him you feel like you should do something, you're going to do it really soon. Okay, so he, he said, great, you'll preach next Sunday night. And I was like, okay, <laughs> uh, all right, right? And so since that point, I have surrendered to ministry. I, I changed my major in college to, to pursue a biblical studies degree because I knew that I just needed to, to go deeper. I needed to learn how to study scripture. I needed to learn how to interpret scripture. I needed to learn what to avoid and, and just provide for myself different tools and strategies so that when I got up here in front of a group of people, I wasn't leading them astray because it's quite the responsibility. After I got my degree and I graduated and, and I was still in ministry and I, I just really felt like I should be doing full-time ministry, right? Like there's, I, I shouldn't have to have a second job, that ministry should be all there was for me to do. And so I started applying for all of these full-time ministry jobs, lots of them. I mean, a lot, guys. I sent out numerous, I couldn't even tell you how many applications with like a little biographical sketch of myself of like, this is me, this is, you know, all of those things. And um, I almost never got a phone call back. Not even to say like, hey, you don't stand a chance. Uh, I just got ignored the majority of the time. And so I, it was really confusing to me. And I was just like, man, I don't understand why this is happening. Like I know God has placed this calling on my life. I know that this is what I'm supposed to do. And my uncle's here, so I'm gonna share this part of the story too. I remember I had to drive him to the airport. He was coming to visit and I had to drive him down to the Branson airport and we got to talking and I just started talking to him about like how discouraged I was and how often um, I faced rejection. And uh, most of you know my uncle does some things uh, in Hollywood, some different, uh, he directs and acts and does all those things. And he's a really talented guy. And he said, hey, I just want you to know that like, I have a 99% fail rate. And I was like, what do you mean you have a 99% fail rate? He says, for every 100 projects that I pitch, only one of them gets accepted. And half the time, even after I complete that one project, no one ever sees it. And he said, if you really feel like this is what you're supposed to do and you're really passionate about it, keep pushing. And I needed that conversation in the moment that I got it, guys, because I was about to give up. I was about to be done. Because I just thought, maybe I think this is what I'm supposed to do, but this is God's way of saying, you're a moron. This is clearly not for you. And so... I, I spent a lot of time in prayer and a lot of time diving in and a lot of time just asking God, is this really what you have for me? Is this really what you want me to do? I can serve as a Sunday school teacher. I can help be an assistant in a youth room. I can, you know, take up the offering. I can do all these things. I can serve the church in a million ways. If, if I misread this and this isn't it, I just need you to tell me. And it wasn't very long after that that I got the position here at Crosspoint. And it finally took me realizing that I needed to surrender to God's plan. 
that it wasn't that I was chasing something that wasn't good. It wasn't that I was going after something that wasn't worthy of my pursuit. It was because I was trying to do it on my own time and I was trying to do it without Jesus. He, and I have this thing about me where it's like God tells me to do something. I was like, okay, I'm just going to go do it. It's kind of how my personality works. I was always like that in school. If I get an assignment, I'm going to get it done. You gave it to me. Like I've got three weeks to write this paper. It'll be done tonight, right? It's just the way that I was always. If there, if I went into math class and there was homework up on the board, I would just go do the homework. I wouldn't even listen to the teacher teach it. I'd read through the book, teach myself, get the homework done, turn it in at the end of class. And they'd be like, what are you doing? And I'd be like, I don't know how you gave, there was an assignment. I did the assignment. You said work, work, right? So I'm the same way in life with pretty much all things. And as you might guess, it doesn't always turn out well. I found success when I decided to bring Jesus along on the journey. And we learn, we also learn from this, that listening to Jesus is a path to success in the face of data that success will not be had. I had been rejected, I told you, a numerous, I mean, just a crazy number of times. Well, Peter fished all night. I mean, literally all night long. And let me tell you, as somebody who loves to fish, and it doesn't happen to me a lot anymore, but there are still times where I will go out and I will fish all night. I'll hit the lake at 6 p.m. I won't leave the lake until 4 a.m., and I have not got a single bite. And when that happens, there is nowhere you want to be less than the water. (laughs) You're just mad. I know there's fish in there. I don't know why they didn't bite it tonight. I don't know why I didn't catch one, but I know there's fish in there. Or they all died. Maybe all the fish died. I'll just like dive my head under the water and open my eyes and see if I can see any fish, right? Like there's nothing you want to do but get out of there and hit Taco Bell, okay? You're like fourth meal coming. You know what I mean? So Peter, he's there. He fishes all night. He toils all night. He uses the word toil. I toiled all night. I didn't catch a thing, Jesus. Not a thing, I cast my nets. I didn't get a single fish. Not one. There's nothing more than he wants to leave. But Jesus had built up some credit with Peter. He knows the teachings of Jesus. Jesus saved his mother-in-law, as I already stated. Peter, at the very least, didn't want his wife to be like, he saved my mom. You couldn't even just throw your net out one more time. Right? He didn't want to hear that. So he does the guy thing where he's like, I fished all night. I mean, if I was going to catch something, I probably would have caught something. But hey, if you want me to do it, you're Jesus. I'll do it. I'll do it. I will. And the rest of the story is history. He casts his nets, and the nets are so full that the nets themselves begin to break. Now, this is his livelihood. This isn't some old net. This isn't some crusty net. This isn't some net that's not well taken care of. They literally mend their nets after every night. They get out of the boat, they go to shore, they look over their nets meticulously, they re-sew anything they need to sew, they mend the net because this is how they live. So this net is a, a, is a fish-catching net, right? And so he casts out the nets and the nets are so full of fish that they begin to break. And he says he calls out a partner and maybe it was James and John because they were his partner in fishing as well for another boat. And there's so many fish that the boats begin to sink. And this does two things for everybody in attendance. I'm going to do something a little wet. I'm going to read 
5 verse 9 and then we'll read 5 8 after but 5 verse 9 says for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken the greek here translated astonished literally says peri thambos why does that matter because it literally means that they were seized petrified paralyzed with amazement they should have just said that They couldn't believe what was happening before them. They could see it. They just couldn't understand it. They're starting to, however, understand who this Jesus is. Frozen in place, wondering what's different about this guy. How did he know he's a carpenter, right? Not a fisherman. They're starting to understand that Jesus isn't quite like everyone else. But for Peter, who had already had miraculous interactions with the Messiah, something more incredible happened. Back to verse 8 that says, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. See, when people finally realize who Jesus is, finally realize that he's the real deal, there's two things that happen. They have a hard time believing it, and they feel unworthy. They have a hard time believing it, and they feel unworthy. And Peter experienced both of those things. Not only was he frozen in amazement, not only was he completely flabbergasted, but he recognized that he was in the midst of a very holy and powerful Messiah. And he knew that he was unworthy. And he asked the Lord, not please go away from me, not let me leave you, not turn your back. He tells him, flee, flee from me, depart from me, run away from me, for I am a sinful man. And we've all been there. We've all been there. We've all had that realization of who Jesus is and been in complete and utter amazement about that and realized just how unworthy we truly are. But here's what you need to understand, that even after that takes place, the calling still comes. Because it was after those moments, it was after that plea from Peter for Jesus to leave him, that he said, no, 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 you come with me. You see, Romans 5, 8 through 9, I love these verses, says God shows his love for us in that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Christ didn't need assistance with the miraculous. Christ didn't need help with the redemptive work of the cross. But no man or woman is an island, not even Jesus. And so Jesus called the 12. And if Christ saw the value of surrounding himself with support, then maybe, just maybe, it would be wise for us to follow suit. Jesus sees the beauty in all of us, even when we can't see it in ourselves. He sees the value in all of us, even when we can't see it ourselves. 
But his desire is that maybe, just maybe one day, we can see it in ourselves because he has called us and he has deemed us worthy. To the world, to the world, you may just be a fisherman. But to Jesus, you are a fisher of men. And that is very different. He has called you to partake, to be his partner in the fulfillment of God's calling to go and make disciples, to bring those who are not in relationship with him into a relationship with him. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you do or even what you believe yourself to be capable of. What matters is your willingness to leave behind what you have made of your life, even if it's a good thing, so that you can experience what Christ will make of it. He's calling you today. Will you respond? Will you listen? Let's pray. God, I come to you right now, and I come to you today, God, and I just ask you to bless those who have heard your message today. Father, first and foremost, I hope, I, I ask and I hope and I want you to instill within them the very real truth that they are worthy, not because of anything that they've done, but God, because you say it is so, because you have deemed it so, because you sent Jesus to offer a sacrifice that we could never obtain ourselves so that we could be in right relationship with you. And we are worthy of that sacrifice because you say it is so, because Jesus says that it is so. And he is calling. He is calling each and every single one of us to something that is greater than ourselves. He is calling us to serve the world around us. He is calling us to step out in boldness, to be bold in our faith, to leave behind the things that we have made the most important and to reorganize our priorities so that he is at the top, so that you are number one. God, I want to live a life, and I pray that it becomes everyone's goal to live a life where what we do points to you. And I know that I still daily fail at that at times. I know that there are so many times that I come up short and that I just don't make the mark. But Lord, you call me anyways, and you love me anyways. There have been so many times where I have fallen at your feet and told you I'm not worthy depart from me. And it's in those moments where I feel your embrace. And I feel you say, even though you don't feel like it, I want you. God, help us to be a light in a dark world. Help us to point others to you. We ask these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Stand with us now. We're going to worship. This is the time for you to worship, to pray, to seek God. Maybe you need to really try to figure out exactly what it is that God's calling you to do. And maybe you know, but maybe you just need to invite Jesus right now to walk alongside you in that. Whatever's going on in your life, I am confident that God wants to be a part of it. 
God wants to be a part of it. And prayer is how you ask for him to be a part of it. And so I'm going to ask you today to be bold, to step out in faith and to pray with someone in this room. Joy, can I have you come stand over here? And Rodney, I'm going to actually have you stand somewhere on this side in the back. So you've got Joy, you've got Rodney. I would love to pray with you myself. I'd be honored to pray with you if there's something that you need to lift up to the Lord. No man is an island. No one is an island. You are not meant, you are not built to keep it all inside. You are not destined to be on your own. So allow us to share in the burden with you. Allow us to pray for you. Allow us to ask God to change your situation. If you need to come pray directly to him, come. Use our stage as an altar. Be an encouragement to those around you. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I feel like I say this almost every week, and if I don't, shame on me. But there is no greater decision that you can make than to say, I'll leave my nets behind, and I'll follow you wherever you're calling me to go. Let's worship. Let's be mindful of what he's asking from us. And let's be bold enough to step out in faith and say, yes, Lord, I will.